Mark's Gospel, chapter 9 and verse 14. And when he came to his disciples, that is the Lord Jesus, he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, What question ye with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child. And oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him, and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore, and came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose, and when he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast him out? And he said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing, but by prayer and fasting. Amen. May the Lord bless to us this reading from his word. Returning from the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter and James and John, our Lord Jesus Christ encountered a group of scribes. Now, these men were specialists in the Jewish law, so we might call them lawyers and we would not be too far wrong. But these were questioning the Lord's other disciples, the nine that he had left when he took the three into the Mount of Transfiguration. But did you notice verse 15 as we were reading together? It says there in verse 15, straightway all the people when they beheld him, that is when they beheld the Lord Jesus, 
were greatly amazed and running to him saluted him. When the people saw the Lord Jesus, they were greatly amazed. Now we are not told what it was that greatly amazed these followers of the Lord. But something in the Lord's appearance or something in the Lord's presence caused this notable reaction. Perhaps the Lord still glowed in his skin and his flesh from that glory that had recently shone from him and emanated from his body through his clothes. You remember how Moses' face shone when he came out of uh, the mountain, when he came down from Mount Sinai, having spent time uh, in the presence of, of God, his, his face shone. And maybe there's something of an analogy there. Or perhaps it was that the timing coincided with something that was being said and, and something that was being done at that very moment between these scribes and, and the disciples and this man and his son. We're, we're not told. But something greatly amazed these people. And I think that this is worth pausing over and pointing out. Soon, soon, very soon, this world will once again be greatly amazed at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. They will be greatly amazed to behold the Lord Jesus Christ. But this time, men and women will not run to the Lord Jesus Christ, but they will flee from him. They will flee from him, we are told, and cry for the mountains to fall upon them, because the Lord Jesus Christ is coming in his glory to judge the world in righteousness and to judge the world for its sin. In Acts chapter 17 verse 31 the Apostle Paul is speaking to the Athenians on Mars Hill um, there in, uh, in, in, in Greece and, and uh, this, is, this is what he says to them. He says that God hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, whom he hath ordained. There's that word ordained again. You see, God is going to send the Lord Jesus Christ once again into this world, but this time to judge the world. That's a prophecy. That's a promise. That will happen. God has told us that to excite our interest, to test our faith and to glorify our Saviour when he comes. But come he will. And he will come and he will greatly amaze this world in his coming. And until that appointed day, we preach to those self-same men and women a way of escape. We preach a way of life, a way of salvation to needy sinners. We preach a glorious gospel of accomplished salvation. And we ask the Lord 
yet to be merciful and gracious, yet through the preaching of his word to open closed hearts and blind eyes to behold our amazing Saviour, so that sinners like us, like you and like me, may see him, may run to him, may salute him as the great Lord and Saviour that he is. So may the Lord send this message today as a wake-up call to the dead in sin and to those that are at ease in Zion. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Today's message is about faith. Or rather, it is about the lack of faith. The Lord Jesus gave us three distinct lessons, three distinct statements about faith in this one short passage. Number one, he spoke about a faithless generation of unbelievers. Secondly, he tried and tested the first early glimmers of faith in the heart of this poor father. And finally he took his disciples aside and he stressed the singular role of faith in Christian life and service. And we're going to look at each of these three instances under these three headings. Elusive faith, emerging faith and enabling faith. Elusive faith, emerging faith, and enabling faith. And the first one is this, elusive faith. Let me begin our thoughts on the Lord's message upon faith in this passage by saying this. Faith in Christ is a rare and precious commodity. Faith in Christ is a rare and precious commodity. And we often fail to realise that because we are so accustomed to the free will offers of salvation that are dispensed from pulpits and platforms constantly. That we imagine that anyone can have faith. That it's freely available to, to, to everyone. And all that it takes to have faith is some simple nod of consent to will saving faith into existence. Well, I'm here to tell you that that isn't faith. You can call it what you will, but it's not faith. I can say that with certainty because I know this, it doesn't come from the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the author and giver of faith. If the Lord Jesus Christ didn't give that faith, it isn't faith. Saving faith is the faith of Christ, gifted exclusively to the elect of God, for whom the Lord Jesus Christ shed his blood. 
Peter speaks in his uh, second epistle of precious faith. And it's precious because it's rare. He speaks of them that have obtained like precious faith with us, with the apostles. You obtain faith. You don't will it into existence. You don't magic it up by, by, by some uh, uh, acquiescence of the, the, the fallen human will. It's something that is obtained at the hand of God, at the gift of Christ. And it is precious, says Peter. Precious faith obtained from Christ. Let me confirm that by saying this. The Lord Jesus Christ once asked a question. He said this. He said in, in Luke chapter 18 verse 8. When the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? That's a sobering question. We ought to think about that question and the implications of that question. People would say, well, look at the churches, look at the energy, look at the size and scale of the, the movement that we have in the world today. Christ said, when I come back, Am I going to find faith on the earth? Well, the answer to that question is yes, he will. But the implication is that it will be a lot less common than most of us think. And here, the Saviour addresses a group of deeply religious people. These were scribes. These were the, the, the uh, people at the top of the religious structure of the Jewish nation. And likely it is these scribes that are principally in view here by the Lord. He declaims against them, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? Now, these people were religious. These people had all the answers. They had all the Old Testament scriptures. They had all the history and the heritage and the traditions and the rituals. And here is the Son of God himself on earth, performing countless miracles. And yet this generation that looked on Christ, that saw Christ with their own eyes, saw his miracles, heard his words, would not, could not, did not believe. They were the most honoured, privileged and indeed blessed generation ever to walk upon this globe. And yet for all their religion, they were a faithless generation. They had their legal observances. They had their religious pedigree. They had their good works. They had their self-righteous morality. But they had no faith. Well, that doesn't mean to say that they didn't believe something. Of course they did. But it was not the faith of Christ. So it was not real faith. It was not true faith. It was not saving faith. They were a faithless generation. Because saving faith is a rare 
and a precious and an elusive commodity. And they had not obtained what they had from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you might wonder, is that good news? Is it good news to know that faith is rare and precious? Yes, yes, of course it is. Who wants to go to hell leaning on a lie? This is good news for you to know that faith is rare and precious. It's good news for you, if you have faith, to know how valuable and precious it is. And if you don't have faith, then you need to know that you need to get it. And you need to know that there is only one source. And if I've challenged you by anything that I've said so far to wonder if what you have is the real thing, if what you have is true, rare and precious faith, then let me point you to the father of this troubled boy that we read about in Mark chapter 9. Let me point you to this man and to his experience of being dealt with by the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me give you our next heading and ask you, honestly, to ask yourself if the Lord Jesus Christ has ever dealt with you like he dealt with this man this day. And this is our second heading, Emerging Faith. Here is a caring father who comes with true but slender faith and brings his child to Christ. His, his purpose is to obtain a cure for the only son that he has and the son that he loves. And it seems clear to me that this man came under great doubt and indeed fear. Knowing it seems, little more than that he had a great need and nowhere else to turn. He approaches the Lord's disciples. Now on other occasions, by the name and the authority of the Lord, the disciples had worked cures. They had cast out demons. They had healed the sick. But here they failed. Here they were not able to do it. And I am sure that this provoked fear and anxiety in this man's soul more than ever it was in bringing his child to Christ in the first place. If the disciples had failed, might not the Lord? Might it be too much for the Lord as well? And he came desperately. And he came pitifully and he says to the Lord Jesus, If you can do anything, have compassion upon us and help us. If you can do anything, have compassion upon us and help us. I love the way he used the, the plural in there. Have compassion upon us, me and the boy, me and the lad, 
And we might ask ourselves, when does faith, when does trust and confidence and belief ever begin a sentence with, if you can? That, that's, that's the opposite of faith. That's not believing he can, that's saying if you can, that's, that's emphasising doubt. The truth is that the best that can be said of this man's faith is that it was a vague hope. But he had nowhere else to go. He had nowhere else to turn to. He had no one else to turn to. Nothing to offer but his need. And so he threw himself and his troubled son upon the mercy and the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ. I said that this man had a vague hope, but it wasn't a vain hope. You see, something had stirred in this man's soul. Something had said to him, go to Christ, take your son to Christ, appeal to Christ, look to Christ. And that's what he had done. If the disciples can't help, don't stop there. Press on. Go to the Lord himself. And when he did, when he did that, the Lord made this remarkable answer to him. He said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. I suspect that the Lord used that same construction of the conditional phrase, if you can, um, because that was how the man had approached him. The man, the man approached him and said, if you can do anything, if you can do anything, have compassion upon us. And the Lord turned that around on the man and said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And I think that the purpose of the Lord in using that phrase, that construction in that way, is surely to show us all the inseparable link between faith and fulfilment. And I suspect, too, that the Lord gave the very faith that this man lacked at that instant and caused him to cry out, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. You see, a true believer has no confidence in his or her own faith far less in their works of righteousness or their, their good deeds or their experiences or their history or their family or anything else. They've not even got confidence in their own faith, in their own feelings. A true believer asks even for the faith they lack from the only source that can supply their need. And I do believe that these words 
Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief are amongst the most encouraging and moving words in the whole of Scripture. And in the light of Jesus' reply to this man, that all things are possible to him that believeth, these selfsame words ought to be frequently upon the lips of his people, you and me, as we face the challenges of this life. Now I'm sure that there's much more in this passage that we can learn than I'm going to be able to share with you today or have time to share with you today. I I mentioned a few things in yesterday's introduction. I I do hope you read these introductions because they they kind of lead in, well that's what they're for, they lead into what we're going to say. That's the intention and the purpose. But I mentioned in yesterday's introduction the presence of this demon in the child's infancy teaches us about original sin. That had been there right from the very beginning. There wasn't a time of innocency there. There wasn't a time when that child was without the the demonic influence upon him. The passage also teaches us about the intercession of the father for his child. And surely that encourages us as parents, and and now I always say grandparents as well, to do the same for our children and grandchildren, to intercede for them with the Lord. And we might notice the viciousness of that devil as he aggravated the boy, even as he fled from the face of And at the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet he still had to tear him one last time. He still had to hurt him. And grieve him one last time. Such was the malignancy of that demon. And we might think about the authority of the Lord over the devil. And Christ's prohibition of that demon ever re-entering the boy. That's the protection of the Lord, his preserving and and persevering in uh, his uh, 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 condition. And it speaks about the, the, the boy's ongoing divine protection. And these are all blessed sources of help for pressed believers like us, I am sure. But I want to finish upon this note, and I I hope, I believe that it will be an ongoing encouragement for the Lord's people. I speak to myself as I speak to you um, who are his in, 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 in this matter. The Lord's third reference to faith here is to uh, the, the, the faith of his disciples, to stir up faith. To stir up the faith of his own disciples. And actually it's in the, it's in the parallel passage in Matthew that the, the Lord speaks uh, of the faith. But it's the same passage, it's the same circumstances, it's the same issue where the Lord there uses a reference to their faith. The disciples were worried. Why had their power left them? Why could they not heal that child on this occasion? And so we've got this title, Enabling Faith. 
the Lord was blunt about the problem. He said, this too was a matter of faith. Well, of course it was, because everything is a matter of faith. Preachers, they talk about successful Christian life. They talk about victorious Christian living or uh, uh, how to be an overcomer or how to be a soul winner or how to be a prayer warrior or how to be a channel of God's power. And this is all superficial, super spiritual jargon. It's mere sanctimonious nonsense. There is only one thing that we need in this world, and that is faith. Faith. The salvation of the Lord's people is a done deal. Election is fixed. Predestination is sure. The eternal decrees, there's that word again, the preordained providences of God in this world are fixed, firm and unalterable. The terms, the extent, the beneficiaries of the everlasting covenant of grace and peace is complete in Christ. The promises are yea and amen in him. The appointed times and seasons of every event and every outcome are in the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all we lack is faith. All we need is faith. The, the Lord did not say that all things are possible by him that believeth, but that all things are possible to him that believeth because the power is in Christ's hands and that was the lesson that the disciples had to learn and it's the, the same lesson that we have to learn all power is committed to Christ and anything that we have is by faith in him we receive from him by faith and what's what's the point about prayer and fasting then what, what's the Lord, what does the Lord mean when he talks about prayer and, and fasting? Do the Lord's words not mean that we can do more if we pray more and fast more? More prayer, more power, more fasting, more success? No, no, that won't work. The faith that moves mountains is the Lord's faith. And faith moves mountains, not because it's strong, but because it leans upon the one who is strong. Faith draws its peace, its comfort from Christ, from who he is, from what he has done. Remember when we were reading in, in, in Mark chapter 5, um, verses five, 35 and, 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 and verse uh, 36. It's the, the narrative, the miracle about Jairus' daughter. Um, he's another child. And, um, and, and this, this, is what, this is what it said in, in those verses. Let me read them to you. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. 
Why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. Well, what about fasting and prayer? I, I don't know. Maybe you don't like me to say that I don't know the answer to, to, to these things, but, but I don't know what that's about. All I can say with certainty on, on that matter is this. The one who fasted and the one who prayed with success was the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Not the disciples, not you, not me. It was the Lord who fasted and prayed, and it was the Lord who cast out this demon. And when I see and think about the Lord Jesus Christ fasting and praying, I see in that the Lord's sacrifice and the Lord's intercession. It was the Lord who fasted when he sacrificed his life on the cross. And it was to him that all glory was bequeathed and to him that all power was given. And it is he who says to us, be not afraid, only believe. And it was the Lord who prayed for his disciples and the Lord who prays still, interceding for his people in heaven. And he knows what is best for his children on earth. And he says to us, be not afraid, only believe. It is the Lord who is the author of all faith. It is he who is the source of all peace. He is the giver of life. He is the bringer of comfort and every good gift to his people. All we have is our need. We are all a part of a faithless generation. But by grace, some of us have been given sufficient faith to come to Christ. Let this be our prayer. With the weak-faithed Father and the disappointed disciples, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And may the Lord place this prayer on our hearts and upon our lips day by day. Amen.